Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining today's conference call. I'm Rachel Harvey-Katz with Business Forward, and I'll be moderating our conversation today. Currently, all lines are in listen-only mode. We're pleased to welcome two senior officials from the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, Director of Industry Engagement and Resilience, Kelvin Coleman, and Technology and Business Liaison, Holla First. They're here to unpack DHS's Cybersecurity Toolkit designed specifically for small and medium-sized businesses. For those, of us who, for those of you who are new to our programming, Business Forward is a national business organization that helps business leaders from across America brief Washington on how to create jobs and accelerate the economy. Over the past several years, we've helped tens of thousands of business leaders from across the country brief more than 450 senior administration officials, members of Congress, governors, and mayors. Before we get started, I want to go over a few housekeeping items. First, as, far to, as part of the email confirmation you received for this event, there's a button that says Access Social Webinar. Please click on that link to view today's presentation. The slides are also posted on our website where you registered. That's businessfwd.org, and then you can find the information there for the cybersecurity webinar. Second, to foster a candid discussion, this call is off the record and not intended for press. And finally, there will be time for you to ask questions today. You can do this in one of two ways. You can press 1 at any time to indicate that you'd like to speak live on the call, or you can type your question into the chat window of your control panel. Okay, let's get started. Please welcome Kelvin Coleman and Hala First from the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. Hi, everybody. This is Hala First, the Cybersecurity and Technology Business Liaison with the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, first, I want to say thank you so much to Business Forward for arranging this call and this webinar. And thanks to you all for taking time out of your busy day. I know how busy you must all be um, to learn about how to protect your businesses from cyber threats and um, how to work with the department to do so. So as you know, security is not only to protect our physical assets, but our cyber and technology assets as well. And at DHS, the Critical Infrastructure Cyber Community Voluntary Program, or C-Cubed Voluntary Program as we call it, provides resources for all businesses of all sizes in order to assess where they are and what they can do to increase their cyber resilience to mitigate, as best as possible, evolving cyber threats. So it usually is helpful to do a little bit of definition of terms. Um, what do we mean by a cyber threat? And um, if you can move to slide two, please. A cyber threat is an attempt to damage or disrupt a computer network or system. Cyber risks can become a reality if there are vulnerabilities present within a network, hardware, or software which allow an attacker to reduce a system's information assurance. Small and mid-sized businesses face a unique challenge when it comes to security, as I'm sure many of you are aware. SMBs often have scarce resources and are faced with tough choices when it comes to the trade-off between operations and security, let alone cybersecurity. To help educate and empower SMBs, DHS has created a number of resources to help SMBs use the National Institute of Standards and Technology, or NIST's, cybersecurity framework in order to provide a current risk assessment, as well as corresponding resources businesses can use depending on their level of cybersecurity maturity. There's many reasons that we encourage SMBs to use the framework. 
SMBs account for over half of the nation's workforce, so the success or failure of SMBs can influence millions of Americans. In addition, SMBs are very much at risk of a cyber incident. Cyber criminals are generally indiscriminate. They will target any vulnerable network or computer system, no matter the size of the company. In fact, I was recently in Longview, Texas, and they're having a lot of problems with um, what's referred to as ransomware. Uh, these are small mom and pop shops, it, and the cyber criminals that are attacking them are asking for amounts as low as $700. But when you don't carry a lot of business, when you don't carry a lot of cash on hand, you know that can be crippling to your business. So it really, you know, they really are indiscriminate. Cyber criminals also target SMBs because SMBs are less likely to have robust security systems and are more likely to use cloud technology without adequate encryption protocol. And this is, you know. This is not to lay blame at anyone's feet. It's hard to make these decisions when you're working on, you know, when you're trying to balance small number of resources, both in human capital and actual capital. Um, a lot of small and medium-sized businesses, you've got, you know, the sort of CEO and and chief security officer and chief information security officer is all the same person, um, and also, you know, chief bottle washer too. So it's hard to make those trade-offs um, when it's when you have small um, resources, both human and otherwise. Attacks are increasing. A National Small Business Association survey found that 50% of small businesses fell victim to a cyber attack in 2014, an increase of 44% in 2013. On average, these cyber attacks cost businesses more than $20,000 per attack, a significant increase from around $8,000 per attack in 2013. For those firms whose business banking accounts were hacked, the average losses were $19,948, up significantly from $6,927 in 2013. This is a huge jump in cost, and it's likely due to the increased sophistication in phishing and hacking schemes, as well as an improved economy that finds greater funds available in many small firms' bank accounts than just two years ago. And the survey also showed that cyber attacks are taking more time to resolve today, with one in three small businesses saying it took three days or more to resolve, up from just one in five two years ago. So when these attacks are costing money every day, you want them to be over as soon as humanly possible. The CQ Voluntary Program provides a way for SMBs to protect themselves by connecting with larger industry partners to gather and implement best practices. The CQ Voluntary Program also connects SMBs to a number of resources and tools to help improve enterprise resilience. And today we're going to talk about those resources. You can move to slide three, please. So in addition to those cyber trends among SMBs, news media coverage has also continually addressed the following trends. Um, great. I just want to make sure we are on the next slide. Endpoint security is an approach to network protection that requires each computing device on a business's network to comply with certain standards before network access is granted. Endpoints can include PCs, laptops, smartphones, tablets, Internet of Things devices. So Nest is becoming really popular. That's how you can maintain your temperature uh, remotely in your home. And equipment such as barcode readers or point-of-sale terminals. In 2014, 61 million cu customer records stolen through malware or network breaches, and at least 600 businesses, including independent brick-and-mortar stores, were targeted by the malicious POS software backoff. Simple forms of endpoint security include personal firewalls or antivirus software that is distributed and then monitored and updated from the server. The term is evolving, however, to include intrusion detection with behavior blocking components. So 
that can include a variety of things. And as we all know, in, in this field, things are constantly evolving. Second, user security vulnerabilities encompass the human error or malicious employee activity that puts businesses at risk for cyber attacks, including the malware mentioned above. Disgruntled employees can be a serious problem with SMBs where there is often a, rate of, a high rate of staff turnover. SMBs also commonly hire contractors for jobs that gives them access to credentials and sensitive data. Unique passwords, two-factor authentication, and employee training are just a few ways you can protect your business from this type of risk. Third, many SMBs use software as a service, such as accounting software and cloud storage, because it is inexpensive and convenient. And that's the reason everyone uses it. I mean, that's why it's so popular. However, at the same time, it saves money, but it can also expose you to more threats. So for example, a small company might use outsourced billing and accounting software, Gmail to email, email their clients, and the cloud to store their data on cloud. Sorry, so customers can interface with the company more easily. I had to make sure that sentence made sense. Each of these are software as a service. This poses a supply chain risk management problem that SMEs must proactively identify and mitigate. So when we talk about supply chain, we're not necessarily talking about supply chain like in trade. What we're talking about is that because everything is networked, um, you're only as strong as your weakest link. And when you're using so many different um, components like this, it's not enough that 90% of them are locked down. It's the 10% that are going to be problematic. Okay. If we can move to slide four, please. <coughs> so the next thing is if you know now that cybersecurity is critical to businesses of any size, and I think we all do, um, how do you get started? First, it's imperative to understand and address common vulnerabilities. You can leverage community repositories, and we we seriously encourage you to do so, such as NIST's National Vulnerability Database to ensure that known vulnerabilities are addressed. Second, figure out what cyber events your organization monitors. If IT and incident response activities are outsourced, like we just talked about, have your service providers supply threat, incident, and activity reports from network traffic in a format that works for your staff. A lot of times what we're seeing, and part of what the toolkit that we're going to talk about in a minute will help with, is that you have people that are sharing threat information or incident information with you, but it's not in a, in a way, it's not in a format that your CEO or uh, your board can really appreciate or that anyone can do anything with. Um, so what we've tried to do is help make, it more ex make this information more accessible so that companies can actually break it down. A layperson can actually figure out what is it that I need to do. Um, the NIST Cybersecurity Framework provides a common language for understanding, managing, and expressing cyber risk. And again, that's why we really encourage you to work within the framework. Industries may also offer sector-specific guidance, uh, controls, or threat models. So look to your industry. And part of how you'll do that, um, I'm going to talk about in a minute. So third, ensure that your business impact assessment is complete and up-to-date. Do you know what your critical business functions are? Do you, you, do your threats have the capabilities to disrupt them? What are your contingency plans and procedures? And that's something that we can help you with as well. Fourth, create or become an active member in an industry or regional information sharing and analysis organization to share and respond to cyber risk in a safe and collaborative environment. You may be aware of ISACs, which are information sharing and analysis centers. Those are sector specific, so they're sort of cabined by um, type of activity or industry, um, and they interact with uh, the 
with our information sharing portal. What we've recently, what legislation has done and what executive orders have done is create information sharing and analysis organizations, which broadens that opportunity for information sharing. So before when I was saying that industries may offer sector-specific guidance, that's what I was referring to, that you have the opportunity to engage with information sharing analysis centers or organizations to learn best practices from your, fellow, um, your fellows in your same industry. Lastly, continually use what already exists to counter and monitor threats. DHS offers several programs enabling industry to protect and defend critical infrastructure and provide opportunities to share threat intelligence. We're going to talk more about these resources, and they can all be found on the CQ Voluntary Program website. So you have that information there right in front of you on this slide. Um, that is our website, and it has tons of resources for you, which we're going to go over. Um, but please, we encourage you to use it um, often. <laughs> uh, next slide, please. So once you've identified how to begin, and identified tools to grow your business's cybersecurity practices, there are some additional tips to keep in mind as you roll out your cybersecurity activities and risk management efforts um, that a business owner should be familiar with. So based on our research through various open source searches, the US CERT website, DHS resources on workplace planning, and industry best practices, we have synthesized the results to develop this list of the top things to consider when developing cybersecurity measures in your workplace. CEOs and business leadership should engage in the following activities, which are aligned to the five focus areas of the NIST framework that we discussed earlier. So the first is technical defenses. A business should ensure that all sensitive or not publicly available information sits behind a firewall. In addition, every business should institute an intrusion detection system and internet content filtering. Once these are in place, ensure that the software is updated on a regular basis and any patches that are released are applied. That's a huge problem. There are patches out there, but they don't get applied. So you got to do, it's not enough to, um, I can't think of a metaphor, but you got to apply the patches. Enforce usernames and passwords that cannot be guessed. Limit the number of login attempts within a certain time. Require password changes every 45 to 90 days. And in some instances, implement a dual access requirement such as a token in addition to username and password. Um, a lot of this is already um, in place in a lot of uh, different workplaces. And a lot of it's in place in just the devices that you use every day for personal use. Um, so it, you know, it's not hard, but we don't really think about it. So it, making sure that those things are in place um, is huge. Encrypted communications is the next step. Protect and secure communications through encryption protocols such as transport layer security, which manages server authentication, client authentication, and encrypted communication between servers and clients. Implementing this layer of security will prevent information being read in transit and unauthorized access. In fact, the federal government just went HTTPS only, so that's the, the S means secure, um, which is supported by transport layer security. Um, the next thing is to help detect cyber incidents or potential breaches, organizations should ensure that they are adequately monitoring their systems. Along the lines of implementing technical defenses, which we just talked about, uh, business should have a dedicated resource or resources to monitor, log, and analyze system activity and report any activity that seems weird. To respond and recover, businesses should develop communications to alert their employees about the incident and how to prevent a similar situation from happening. If applicable, as well, develop training that provides further guidance on how to identify and respond to potential cyber incidents. 
And again, I know this sounds like a lot, but we offer resources that will help you um, to develop this and to manage it. To recover, leadership should ensure that their policies and procedures for employees are up to date and develop mechanisms to check compliance. Businesses should also ensure that they have developed disaster recovery and business continuity plans in the, in the case that something bad does happen, processes that will help organizations prepare for and recover from cyber attacks or incidents. So that's sort of the big picture, and I know we're throwing a lot of information at you, but my colleague Kelvin is now going to turn and tell you about the actual resources that are available to you from the department so that now that you have all this information, we can help you actually put it into practice. Kelvin? Thanks so much. We, uh, this is a really great part for me to share our resources uh, because I don't, as I travel the country, um, it is obvious that there are folks who are not aware that the department, uh, we have a number of resources that can help you implement uh, cybersecurity uh, changes. So how can you as a small or medium-sized business leader start to use the framework and guide your employees and management towards a more sound cybersecurity practices? Uh, well, first, obviously, visit the CQ Voluntary website, and I think the slide is up there. I'm having a little bit of problems there seeing it, but I uh, think the slide is up showing the uscert.gov uh, forward slash CQVP website. Uh, visit it, and you'll see that it features more than 40 individual uh, offerings that are free and easy to use, uh, resources organized by stakeholder group and aligned with the framework uh, core functions, uh, of course, which you know, um, we know to be identify, protect, detect, respond, and recover. Uh, this list will grow as our government and private sector, certainly our state and local partners, begin to share resources that can be made available uh, to the broader community. Uh, next slide, please. Just an example of uh, some resources that are available to you. For example, if you want to align to the identify uh, uh, core of the uh, framework. Uh, we have something called the Cyber Resilience Review, which provides assistance to organizations looking to use the framework. It's uh, free and voluntary. Uh, it could be conducted as a self-assessment or as an in-person facilitated assessment. So we can deploy a team, uh, obviously, to come out and uh, help you um, with the CRR. This is a great place to start for a business of any size uh, to begin to understand their potential vulnerabilities and certainly what cybersecurity measures they should take to mitigate those things. Um, if you, again, visit the CQ website, the CRR is available for download. Um, if you look at the next uh, resource here, it talks about CQ voluntary programs, small and medium-sized uh, businesses. We've actually developed a toolkit of sorts uh, that small and medium-sized businesses can use to address cybersecurity risk. Uh, the first document in the toolkit, and, and again, you can see this if you go to our CQ website, um, the first document in the toolkit is understanding the threat landscape because you can't exactly begin to address the threat if you don't completely understand the threat. And certainly, this will help you understand uh, how to prevent common uh, vulnerabilities, determine what cyber events uh, to monitor, certainly ensure that the business impact assessment is up to date, uh, things of this nature. And there are a couple of other uh, things in that toolkit, such as top resources for small and medium-sized businesses, uh, cybersecurity for startups, um, certainly a small and medium-sized business leadership agenda, which suggests ways that CEOs and business leaders 
can begin a conversation with their team about how best to address their company's uh, cyber needs. Next slide, please. As you can see there, just a few more resources. Our Stop, Think, and Connect campaign. Um, this is a wonderful campaign and a national public awareness aimed at increasing the understanding of cyber threats and empowering the American public. So if you think about programs like um, Only You Can Prevent Forest Fires, Smokey the Bear, or McGruff the Crime Dog, Take a Bite Out of Crime, or Ticket or Click It, these public service announcements, um, they're very effective uh, with the American people. And certainly Stop, Think, Connect is another campaign that we hope will uh, resonate with the American people so that, again, they can understand cyber threats and empower the public to be safer and more secure online. Stop, Think, Connect has an online resource guide specifically tailored to small and medium businesses um, that contains information on mobile safety information, cybersecurity guidance for employees, and a small business tip card, among many other resources. You can see there as well the Federal Small Biz Cyber Planner, uh, the um, National Association of Corporate Directors Cyber Risk Oversight Handbook. Um, in fact, I just met with the NS, uh, NACD today, uh, at least some of their members and, and their staff, to talk about CQVP and other resources we have here um, at the Department of Homeland Security. Next slide, please. Cybersecurity tools and resources continues there. SISB, uh, uh, as well as ECS. Uh, we've developed programs, and again, these are no-cost uh, programs, certainly voluntary, but no cost. We've developed programs to share information between enterprises and the department. Uh, we want to create a shared situational awareness across the critical infrastructure communities. Uh, we certainly want to enhance cybersecurity collaboration between DHS and owners and operators uh, so that we can leverage subject matter expertise on both sides. And certainly both of those programs, CISB, the uh, cybersecurity, again, Cyber Information Sharing and Collaboration Program, as well as ECS, Enhanced Cybersecurity Services, provides a form to do that. Particularly in the case of ECS, it's a voluntary information sharing program that assists uh, owners and operators uh, to improve the protection of their systems from unauthorized access, exploitation, or data infiltration. Uh, so we're very, you know, we, we are really trying to make sure we line up our resources according to the framework. And again, over 40 resources available to uh, small and medium-sized business uh, owners and operators. Next slide, please. 2015 activities and initiatives uh, growing the communities of interest. Certainly this webinar is an example of that. Uh, we are absolutely out uh, trying to be as active as possible in um, engaging uh, the public. Uh, we have traveled the country literally uh, to talk about these initiatives. We think they're that important. And of course, I think we all are familiar with uh, October being National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Uh, so we just wrapped up an entire month of uh, engaging with folks, again, all across uh, this great country of ours. Regional events, as you can see, uh, we're certainly developing a small and mid-sized business roadshow, uh, building those communities of interest as well as uh, partner programs that we think are so vital uh, to building up uh, that network of folks uh, where we can share uh, information on cybersecurity.
Uh, next slide, please. Again, going into the building communities of interest, the uh, stakeholders sharing regional and industry identity, community support and cybersecurity and risk management, uh, built around the NIST framework. All of these things are meant to, uh, again, um, shore up a self-sustaining communities of interest across the country to increase um, an organization's cybersecurity reliance regardless of their maturity or their location. So all these things that you see, uh, it goes towards that goal, building up a self-sustaining network across the country. Um, and certainly when we get to that point, uh, we'll be in a much better place to manage cybersecurity risk. Next slide, please. All right, uh, CQ Voluntary Program, as you can see, will provide partners assistance in the following areas there, uh, and enhance, uh, so that you can enhance your cyber resilience, so that you can use the NIST framework, certainly build communities of interest around cybersecurity and risk management. And last thing is, you know, spread the word about CQVP and its resources. We think that's very important, and uh, it's probably much more effective for you to spread it with your uh, community, your colleagues, uh, than if I just show up, right? You're a trusted source of information. And so uh, we want you to get that word out there. And anything we can do to help with that, please uh, let us know. If you're interested in becoming a partner, uh, please reach out to us at uh, ccubed, uh, C-C-U-B-E-D, uh, VP, at HQ. .dhs.gov. Uh, more than happy to uh, uh, partner with each and every one of you and certainly look forward to working with you in the future. Hala? Wonderful. And we'll send out an email afterwards with some of these resources for everyone. Thank you so Great. much and for that Ra presentation. Rachel, just yeah. one more thing. Um, this final slide, um, slide 13, I just want to share that because it has, it, it lays out the website so people can see it again written out. Um, and kind of gives a quick snapshot of the different things that uh, Kelvin just discussed. So I want to be sure people get a chance to, to take a look at that. Um, and, and to get down Absolutely. all that information. Yes, yeah. thank you. Want to uh, turn it over to some questions right now? Great. Okay, great. So, so to remind everyone, if you have a question, you can press 1 to speak live on the call or you can type your question into the chat box uh, in the webinar screen. Um, so our first question is going to come from Alexandria in DC. She asks, to keep your systems monitored, um, is on-site and off-site monitoring the same? Does DHS work with both? So I'm sorry, repeat the question. Um, to keep systems monitored, is on-site and off-site monitoring the same? Does DHS work with both types of monitoring? Oh, so they're not necessarily um, the same, but they uh, can have the uh, same impact at the end of the day, right, whether you're monitoring on-site or have some sort of third-party vendor doing it for you. Uh, those same vulnerabilities um, exist for, for both options. And DHS can help to guide you in the right direction. Obviously, we're not in the business of uh, picking and choosing vendors or telling you how to do it on-site or off-site. But those tools I talked about, like the CRR 
and other assessments that we have can actually help you to determine what's best for your business. And so while we, you know, are not going to sit down and say, thou shalt do whatever, right, we, we can provide you the tools and certainly the uh, subject matter expertise and the advice uh, to guide you in the right direction for what's best for your business. Okay, great. Our next question um, is going to be us live on the call. It's with Laura from North Carolina. Laura, your line is now open. Thank you very much. Can you hear me all right? Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, I have had identity theft and I've had my bank account vandalized by online and um, in-person events. And so I'm trying to be as cautious as possible. I have a vendor who's approached me who would like to offer me funding for my small business. And I tried to look him up as a company, and I'm not sure where I can do that. That's a secure site that has a registry of businesses. I went to the state of North New York, because that's where it appears to be that his corporation was located, and I did not locate him. So I'm a little bit concerned. How do we have a space for that purpose somewhere? that we can look to a business that's listed like Dun & Bradstreet, for instance? Mm. So I, I'll say that, first of all, you should be commended for doing those great first steps um, and not just um, accepting people at face value. I think that's especially with phishing scams. Um, it doesn't sound like that's what this is, but um, that's certainly uh, how they get people, right, by people just sort of clicking links and accepting what people say. So you should be commended for that. Um, as for, I think what you're asking about is, is there a database of sort of vetted companies? And um, I, I don't know of one, I mean for a variety of reasons the government doesn't, people aren't necessarily comfortable with the government keeping lists of companies that are like good and bad, right? Um, I don't know of one that's comprehensive in the, or for the purposes that, that you're looking for. Uh, Kelvin, do you know of anything that would be in line with what Laura is talking about? No, not specifically, Laura, but we are beginning to work with um, folks like the Better Business Bureau to, um, for, for, I think they're beginning to develop something of that nature. So I would recommend contact your local Better Business Bureau. And this, not unlike, you know, a plumbing issue or you need a home lawn, lawn care or something, you know, sort of word of mouth, trusted sources, uh, other business leaders that you know are of like mind or like in terms of what they have done. So what we have seen is that when folks are able to talk about experiences with each other and you find out that someone's like, hey, yeah, no, I deal with a great person who I've been dealing with for two years now and they're really, uh, this company is really doing uh, great things for, you know, protecting our data, uh, that's usually the best way to go in terms of you can't find this company. That probably said something, um, says something, and, and it, you know, trust your instinct there. You probably wouldn't go with, uh, you know, a childcare service with just that little bit of information um, or anything else. And so, uh, like Holly said, you, you're to be commended uh, for your due diligence thus far, and certainly begin to ask colleagues. But yeah, we don't have necessarily a vetted list of, uh, of businesses. Great. Well, we've gotten a lot of questions that have come in uh, through the chat box and people wanting to um, speak live on the call. A lot of people have been asking if the slides will be available afterwards, and absolutely um, we'll be sure to um, get everyone a copy of those after today's call.
Paul. Um, our next question uh, was was uh, sent in by Neil. He asks, does using a Mac or a PC provide any extra security, in your opinion? Um, so this is Kelvin. If you're connected to the Internet, you're vulnerable. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So it's not... Uh, really, a qu and, and again, as we said earlier, we're not in the business of promoting one over the other. Uh, if you're connected, uh, then you are vulnerable. Uh, our next question uh, is going to be from James. James from North Carolina, your line is open. James, are you on mute? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Oh, hi, yes. Did you have a question, James? Yes, I do. Um, I do small service type of business. Um, I have transportation um, services, uh, travel agent online. And um, I'm curious to know, um, are there, like, plugins that I could use for security from, uh, from uh, uh, what is it? WordPress. Um, also, what's the difference between the HTTP and the HTTPS? So, James, I heard your last question pretty clearly um, in terms of uh, the difference between HTTP and HTTPS. Um, Holla said it earlier. Um, the S just uh, provides a, a much more security, and, and that's what it signifies. And so, you know, anything with HTTP, um, probably not as uh, secure. Now, your first part of your question I did not pick up as well. Something about it, uh, are there plugins that you can get to help you be more secure? Is that kind of what I heard? Yeah, basically, yeah, I use WordPress to make my sites, and um, yes, that was, was is what I was asking. Now, I'm, now I'm aware of the difference between HTTP and HTTPS, but is there a certain procedure that you have to do to make your website H, uh, website HTTPS? Oh, okay. So that's a good question. And no, I'm 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 not aware. Um, I'm quite sure. Uh, perhaps you have to meet certain standards or something of that nature. Um, but I'm not aware of uh, anything in particular. So. Okay, well, our next question is going to come from Sylvia. Sylvia from Washington State, your line is now open. Hey, Sylvia, did you have a question? Yes, can you hear me? Yes, now we can hear you. I wanted to ask you a question. I wanted to partner with you, but in providing uh, workshop trainings, to businesses in the area, maybe once a quarter to bring awareness to businesses that you provide this type of service for them for free? Is there a way that we can actually be certified or do we have to have to submit a request to have one of your team members or two of your team members to come and provide those workshops for businesses once we organize them in the area? Um. So the website, so I gave out a, a couple of websites um, as well as an email address um, that you can uh, send 
uh, inquiry to a request to, and, and we're very responsive, by the way. We, we really want to get uh, this information out and want to talk to people. Uh, so we're pretty responsive when it, when it comes in. Um, I, I will say, obviously, we don't have limitless resources, and so we have to be targeted in terms of uh, coming out and doing regional events. So let me just say the larger the event, the better or the more likely we are to uh, get approval to do it. Uh, we've actually uh, visited Washington State, the Evergreen State, uh, several times. We're going to be back out there in January, and so if you want to uh, send us an email or send me an email, we can perhaps even um, add on to that trip uh, to uh, speak with um, you and your group. Um, so, but again, if you're able to get a, a consortium of people together, organizations, um, it would really be uh, uh, beneficial. And to prove the point, I would always Kennewick, Washington. Uh, which I'm quite sure you can appreciate, um, to uh, do various workshops. So. And Kelvin, we actually got another qu uh, related question sent in from Daryl. He asks, is there a calendar for the small and medium-sized business roadshow? So uh, I'll field this one. Um, we ha what we've been trying to do is match with existing events for the roadshow, and we're looking for, uh, as for probably many of you, um, towards the end of the year, things tend to wind down with the holidays and such. And so we actually, Kelvin and I, and I think Shumway and I were just talking today about building out a calendar for the coming year. So we would love, and uh, through the email that's on this uh, that's on the slide, we would love to hear from you if you want uh, to plan an event um, as part of the roadshow to include you on our schedule as we're building it out for 2016. So the short answer is. Um, no, there are a few events that we're in the process of planning right now, but there's no um, hard and fast schedule for 2016 right now. But we'd love to work with you to build that out. Great, and we can help connect you on that. Uh, we had another question that was sent in by Dana who asks, Is it, if a hacker demands some sort of ransom, what are my first steps? What law enforcement agency or agencies should I call right away? So very good question. Um, it really depends on, so the first, uh, most of the time we advise folks to get in touch with their local law enforcement or uh, the local FBI if they're familiar uh, with you know, their local FBI office. Um, we are trying to build in D.C. at least a consensus around uh, who do people call and, and you know, who they can reach out to. Um, once something like of this nature happens, and you know what, we've not come to a definitive answer yet. So in lieu of that, what we tell folks is to contact their local law enforcement who more often than not um, are actually uh, briefed up on cyber and will have next steps on what someone uh, can do. Now, unfortunately, um, it, you know, as discussed earlier, these Ransom amounts vary in terms of you know how much they're asking, and sometimes that will drive the conversation in terms of how much they're asking for. Uh, but certainly, feel free to reach out to your local law enforcement um, or your local FBI if you happen to know uh, their contact information. Our next question is going to come from Caroline in Connecticut. Caroline, your line is open. Hi, I was wondering okay. if you had any resources 
for um, state and local government officials to, in order to help protect state utilities and infrastructures from potential cyber incidents. Um, so I think I heard the question as being any resources for state and local government? Yes, exactly. Um, yes, <laughs> many. <laughs> uh, very, uh, yes. In fact, um, if you go to the CQVP website, we have a section specifically laid out for state and local governments. Um, you know, I'm pretty passionate about this area because for years, well, couple of years, I think. I was director of state and local cyber engagement, and so uh, there are a number of resources available to state and local government uh, officials to manage cyber risk. Um, you may be familiar with the Multi-State Information Sharing and Analysis Center, uh, the MSISAG. Uh, they are a grant-funded organization, um, grant-funded by DHS, and their sole purpose is to work with state and local governments in um, uh, again, in managing cyber risk, membership to the MSI SAC is free. Uh, they provide alerts, updates. Uh, you can actually, um, you know, we, um, monthly um, calls to discuss um, products and resources out there that are available to state and local governments. Uh, you know, they have an annual conference uh, where CEOs of state and local governments attend, and CISOs, of course. Chief Information Security Officers. And so, yes, a wealth of information out there for state and local governments. If you just visit our CQVP website um, and or, uh, again, send us an email, we will certainly uh, reach out to you uh, as soon as possible. Thank you. We uh, have time for a few more questions. Next, we're going to go to Joyce from Texas. Joyce, your line is open. Good afternoon. Thank you. I wanted to know if you also work internally with Dan Studevant. Um, he is a resource to small business nationally and probably globally and does a lot of the business matchmaking and goes across the country. He's your what's called Ostabu. So um, this information can be very easily, it seems to me, offered on a lot of the events that Dan attends. Um, I, I don't, um, but Kelvin, I'm not sure if you do. Oh, I, I'm so sorry. Did I miss a question in that? <laughs> what, yeah, what was she question? was asking if uh, Dan, you said Octavant, is that his last name? S-T, wait a minute, let me read it, S-T-U-R-D-I-V-A-N-T. And you I posted what? it also on your chat. Okay, let me see. Uh, and I gave you, you his title. Great. Also, can I ask you one more question? Are sure. Norton Antivirus or any of these people um, involved with any of this? I mean, we all use antivirus and, you know, anti-spam and all that. How mm -hmm. does that, you know, it seems to me if I'm spe spending that kind of money, I, there should be some additional linkage to this knowledge that you've given us to our security software. So when you're saying that when you're paying to, to Norton, you mean into the antivirus software, that's what you're right. paying. Right. Are there money. software companies? Yeah. 
So we, I mean, we, we don't endorse any particular um, company um, because we're the government. But um, of, of course some of those um, softwares do offer protection. That's not, um, I, I would argue that it doesn't, it doesn't hurt. Um, however, it's not exclusive, right? It's not everything. Um, a lot of those things will protect from some issues, but not everything. So the, the sort of steps that we went through, um, a lot of it has to do with uh, password protection. I mean really simple what we refer to as cyber hygiene issues um, more than just the antivirus and the other um, softwares that are out there. The antivirus can protect you if you, um, you know, potentially if you do click on uh, if you do click on something that you shouldn't. But it's always better to just not click on it, right? Um, and so I, I don't want to tell you that it's not worth your money because it, it, it definitely helps, but it's part of a whole package. Um, and then to answer your question about um, the colleague that you mentioned, do you know what part, you said he worked for the department. If you can tell me what part of it, I, unfortunately I can't see your question on the chat. So if you can just tell me what sure. his title oh, is. Oh, okay. He's your, senior, yeah. he's your senior small business advisor to the director and SDVOSB coordinator. And his, his official work is under what's called DHS slash OSDBU, OSDBU. Okay. Oscar Sam David Business Utilization okay, yes. is what it is. It's the Office of Small Business Right, right, right. Okay. No, we don't. So I work specifically on cybersecurity and technology issues. I believe that my uh, assistant secretary, Raul Perales, does work with him on um, sort of holistic issues involving business. Great. And we can connect you to later if there's something you still wanted to uh, discuss about that, Joy. Yeah, that would, um, that would be wonderful. We're going to go to our final question for today from Alexandria. Uh, she asks, if your business is interested in selling to DHS as a federal contractor, is there a reference that allows you to understand expected cybersecurity standards? Uh, very so, good question. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. No, I'm sorry. Can you, can, you, can you repeat the whole thing again? I heard the sure. last part. If your business is interested in selling to DHS as a federal mm -hmm. contractor, is mm -hmm. there a reference that allows you to understand expected cybersecurity standards? Thank you. Okay, great. Um, I will say that the best place to start is the, is the website, both dhs.gov. We actually lay out um, what's required of folks if they want to engage in a procurement and offer some dates that are specifically targeted to sort of non-traditional vendors or small and medium-sized businesses. So I'd encourage you to start there. Um, as for specifically to cybersecurity requirements, Kelvin, is that something that, that you know more about? I do not actually. Um, it's, there's, it's one of the things that we've been trying to work on is how do we make procurement and those processes uh, more accessible to smaller companies. So my, I feel like that's something that, we are, that we're working on developing, but for right now I, I think you don't need to be worried about um, necessarily specific um, things. Those, were kind of, those will usually come out in the announcement. Um, but please do go to the website and take a look at everything that's laid out there for you. It's a pretty helpful resource. And if you have a specific question, um, I don't work in procurement. I work in um, essentially the relationship building side of the business um, arm of the department. But um, 
I'm happy to put you in touch with the right folks if you have specific questions, and Rachel can help us get connected after this. Yes, absolutely. So I'm afraid that's all the time we have for questions today, but if you had a question that we weren't able to get to, um, if it's in the chat box, we'll uh, make sure it, it gets the correct officials at DHS. And if uh, you still have a question that you weren't able to ask, uh, you can email in, in to us at info at businessfwd.org, and we'll make sure it gets to the right folks and help connect you there. And also, as a reminder, we'll be sure to be sending out a lot of the resources that we talked about on today's call. Uh, so thank you so much for, your, for participating and for your questions, and thank you very, very much to Helvin and Hala, and I hope you all have a great day. Thanks so much. Thanks for everyone being on the call. Take care. Thanks.